Hey everybody, welcome to Summer at the Compass. We've actually got four top-end guest speakers lined up, and the first coming week one is Colin Smith. Colin, for 20 years, has been the senior pastor of The Orchard. It's an evangelical free church, the one I grew up in, the one I met my wife at, and he is a tremendous pastor. In fact, he's got a national radio ministry called Unlocking the Bible, written many books. Most importantly, he is a dear friend of mine. In fact, Colin has been a spiritual mentor in my life for many years. He's actually the one who told me about the Compass Church. I was having lunch with him, and he said, Jeff, I know where you need to go, the Compass Church. And so, yes, Colin has been a huge part of my life, and I believe today he's going to be a great blessing in your life. Colin's got a weird accent, I'll just warn you. Actually, he's brilliant, and the Scottish brogue makes him sound even smarter. So would you please join me in giving a warm welcome to Colin Smith. Well, thank you. It is a delight to be here. I've got to tell you, I am blessed that Jeff Griffin is my friend, and you are blessed that he is your pastor, right? Yeah, indeed, indeed. I could not be uh, more thrilled uh, uh, to have the privilege of uh, sharing this opportunity and this service of worship with you today. I'd like to invite you to open your Bible at Philippians and chapter 4, and I want to speak to you today on the subject of contentment. Let me give you uh, very simply a definition um, as we begin here. Contentment is very simply a journey in which we move from anger to peace, from frustration to satisfaction, and from anxiety to trust. And while you're looking up at your Bible, if you have that, or uh, let me just give you two reasons why I've wanted to speak to you about this today. The first is that I, I don't know I can remember a time when anger seemed to dominate our public life as much as it does today. An older person in my congregation said, Generatis, and she said to me, I can't remember a time in my entire life when so many people seem to be so angry for so much of the time. And uh, Civility seems to be forgotten. Um, our country is more polarized than perhaps at any other time in living memory. And people are frustrated and people are anxious. And then there's another reason why I want to speak to you about this today. And it's, it's more personal, but I want you to know this comes from the heart in, in my own life. Um, I've been blessed to serve as a pastor for 37 years. And I've done that in two world-class cities. We were 16 years in London, in the north suburbs, and we've been 20 years in the northwest suburbs here in uh, Chicago. Now, you all know that life in the suburbs of a great city like this is absolutely relentless. Now, I assure you it's the same in London. It's true of any world-class city. Relentless. And <clears throat> I love that. I love it. I have always wanted to spend my whole life stretched out for Jesus Christ and to live to the max for Him. And, but a number of years ago, I came to a very 
deep conviction that I needed to find a way of doing that out of a greater sense of peace in my own heart and in my own life. And that got me going on the subject of contentment. What would it look like for me to grow in contentment? I gave myself to reading and to studying the scriptures on this subject. And over a number of years now, have really sought to learn and to grow uh, in this area. And so, I want to draw your attention to Philippians in chapter 4. Let me begin by reading verse 11, where Paul says these remarkable words. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now, notice that the apostle is speaking in personal terms here. These are words of personal testimony. He's speaking about his own experience. In fact, five times in just three verses, he refers to himself. Let me point that out for you. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content, he says, verse 11. Then I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So, five times he refers to himself. He's speaking about personal experience. He's saying, this is what I have found and learned in my life, and this is what you can discover and what you can learn in your life as well. Now, it's very significant that it's the Apostle Paul who is saying this to us, because as he points out here, Paul knew the very best and the very worst that a person can experience in life. In fact, he says it here, doesn't he? I know what it is to be brought low. I've been down to the bottom. And I also know how to abound. I've been at the top. I know what it is to have plenty. And I've also known what it is in the course of my life to be in need. So here's someone who says, I've experienced the very best. I've also experienced the very worst. And I can tell you, he says, that I have learned in every situation to be content. Now, notice the word learned. I've learned, which implies that this was something that grew in him uh, over a period of time. He didn't sort of become instantly content the the moment he became a Christian on the Damascus Road. No, this was something that he gained in his journey as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the word learned implies he probably didn't learn it at the beginning. It came over a period of time. It probably didn't come quickly, and it probably didn't come easily either. But he says, I have learned. Notice, he says it twice. Verse 11, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content, and I have learned the secret of facing uh, plenty and hunger. Now, he learned it. The question is how? And I want to be as practical as I possibly can for all of us today. How can you learn it? How can you move forward in a journey from anger to peace and from frustration to satisfaction and from anxiety to trust? Well, let me give you three answers to that question, and all of them are drawn from Philippians and chapter 4. The first is, you will grow in contentment as you gratefully savor the blessings 
of Jesus Christ, as you gratefully savor the blessings of Christ. And I'm looking at the verses that come before here, the context. Look at verse 8. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, what he's saying here when he says, think about these things, is he's reminding us that God has given to every one of us a choice about where we focus our attention. And he's saying, make sure that you focus the attention on that which is good. What are the good things about your family? What are the good things about your neighborhood? What are the good things about your work? What are the good things in regards to your church or to your ministry? Bring to mind what is good. Be intentional about cultivating that, and you will learn what it is to be content. In other words, make more of your joys than you do of your sorrows. Make more of what you have gained in your life than you do of all that you may have lost. And do this in your thinking, do this in your speaking, that's what Paul's doing as he writes these verses, and do this in your praying as well. Here's something very important, and I mention it because in verse 6 he says, do not be anxious in every, uh, uh, about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and then the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Now, he's saying this, if you want your prayers to lead you to a greater sense of peace, don't forget the component of thanksgiving. By all means, bring your request to God. That's what we're wonderfully privileged and invited to do in prayer. But you know what? If the only thing you do when you pray is ask God for things, if the only thing you bring to your mind when you pray is what you need, then very quickly prayer can actually become an exercise in sort of worrying on your knees, and that won't lead to the peace of God ever filling your heart. You want the peace of God to fill your heart, here's how you pray. You bring your request to God, you do it with thanksgiving, you bring to mind the ways in which God has blessed you, the ways in which He has helped you, His faithfulness, and you give Him thanks as you draw near to Him in Jesus Christ. Now, Martin Luther had a phrase that I found fascinating and very helpful. Luther talked about the rhetoric of the Holy Spirit. Now, Scottish people, you'll understand, just love words that begin with an R. And there isn't a better one than the word rhetoric. And uh, um, Luther said, what is rhetoric? Rhetoric is the way a person speaks. It's all about speaking. And Luther's point is this. Here's how you can tell if you like the accent of the Holy Spirit. Here's how the Holy Spirit speaks. Here's how you can tell a person who is filled with the Holy Spirit because they speak in this kind of a way. That's what he's saying. And let me quote what he says. Here's the rhetoric of the Spirit. If a cross comes to make the cross but little, but if there is a mercy to make the mercy great. That's what Luther said. In other words... When a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, one of the ways that you can tell that 
is that they do not make the greatest thing to be what they have suffered in their lives. The accent with which they speak, the way in which they speak, um, draws attention to the mercies and the graces and the help of God that has been given and has been received. Now, says Luther, the devil has a different rhetoric. The devil has a rhetoric of his own. The devil has a different way of speaking. And here's how you can discern his accent. It's exactly the opposite way around. What the devil does is this, and again, I quote, if there is a cross, the devil makes it greater than it is in order to bring discontent. And then if there is a mercy, in other words, a good gift from God, the rhetoric of the devil is to make the mercy less. Yes, says the devil, it may be a good thing, but it's no big deal. You see? Now, I'm trying to think about how to illustrate this in, 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 in our terms. When you're listening to music, whatever your choice of music, you have choices as to how it will sound. There are different settings. You can turn up the treble or you can turn up the bass. And uh, we've all surely had that experience where you're driving in the car, you get stuck at a traffic light, and alongside in the lane beside you comes another car with a bunch of high school students, and they've got their music turned up so loud and the bass turned up so loud with a subwoofer and all the rest of it that the car's actually bouncing on the road. And, and you begin to think, if, if these traffic lights don't change my, my car, the whole road's going to be bouncing if we don't get out of here. Now, they've chosen particular settings on which to listen to their particular music. And here's what's being said by the Apostle Paul. Turn up the mercy's dial in your life. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The devil always wants to go the opposite way and have you being a complainer in which all of your conversation is filled with what is wrong. And you'll never be content that way. You will always be frustrated. You will be angry. And you will be anxious. Now, contentment does not mean pretending that sorrows don't exist. What it does mean is that when suffering comes, and it does, there are painful things in all of our lives, but here's what a godly person does. You put your sorrows alongside the blessings that God has given to you. That's the whole point of what he's saying here. So there may be someone here today, and you're struggling with an illness, but you may be able to say, well, I'm struggling with this awful illness, but thank God he has given me a wonderful family. Or someone else is under great pressure at work, and you say, I'm under enormous pressure at work, but thank God he's given me a wonderful, wonderful church. You see what's happening? You're taking a burden, and you're putting a blessing alongside it so that you do not become a discontented, angry, frustrated person, but in the mercy of God, you cultivate contentment by savoring the mercies or the blessings of Jesus Christ. Now, the writer um, who in Christian history I think has dealt more thoroughly with the subject of contentment than anyone else, and he's famous for it, uh, is a man by the name of Jeremiah Burroughs. He wrote a book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, and he wrote this book several hundred years ago. And this is what Burroughs says. It may be, he says, and he applies this principle that we're looking at to parents who may be anxious over a rebel son or a rebel daughter. There'll surely be many among us who are in exactly that situation here today. 
And Burroughs says this, it may be that God has afflicted you in one child, but he has blessed you in another. Set the one against the other. I read that first. I thought, really? That sounds a little strange. But he goes on to give this example from the Bible. He says, remember that David had a rebel son whose name was Absalom, who brought great grief to his life. When Absalom died, David was inconsolable. Uh, The Bible records this picture of his grief. Oh, Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son. And David is absolutely brokenhearted. And Burroughs says it would have helped David when he was grieving over Absalom if he had remembered that Solomon was also his son. If when he said in his grief, oh, Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son, he had also said, thank God that Solomon also is my son. Now, that's a very simple application of this principle. And then Burroughs goes on to broaden it out, and I paraphrase his words to make it um, uh, uh, simpler um, for us today. He says, it may be that God cuts you down in your possessions, but then that he uses you in his service. So, here's someone, and you're saying, things are really tight for me financially. And yet what you're finding at the same time is God has opened some doors and you're really being used by him despite the fact that you're in this very difficult position that you wouldn't want to be in. You're setting a blessing against a burden. It may be, he says, that you have a friend who has let you down. But then God has given you other friends who stand with you. So the principle here is very clear. Set your blessings over against your sorrows. Make much of the mercy of the Lord towards you. Whatever is worthy of praise, think about these things. And as you gratefully savor the blessings of Christ, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find that you grow in contentment, that anger begins to dissipate, that frustration begins to go, and that anxiety becomes less. And by the way, this is one of the reasons why worship is so important to us. Because every Sunday when we gather together like this, what are we doing? We're bringing to mind how great God is and how great are his mercies to us in Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing. How are you going to grow in contentment? How did Paul learn it? And he says, well, here's the first thing. It was by gratefully savoring the mercies of Christ. Okay, here's the second. Confidently affirm the sufficiency of Christ. Now, here's something very, very wonderful. I want you to look at verse 13, where Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, if you notice the previous verse, verse 12, he he says that he has learned the secret of contentment. I have learned the secret of Now, whenever the apostle says, I've learned the secret, when anyone says, I've learned the secret, you think, oh, I hope he's going to tell us what the secret is. We don't want to be left hanging out there that Paul's found a secret and he's not going to tell us. Well, he does tell us. I've learned the secret, he says. And what is the secret? The secret is in the verse that follows. At verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the secret that I've learned. And that's how I've learned to be content. That's what he's saying. Now, I think that there's actually a very important connection 
between what Paul is saying from his personal experience here. He's telling us what God has taught him and how he learned it. And I think that there's a very important connection between this and another passage in the Bible that some of you will know well, where Paul also speaks out of his own personal experience. And that other passage is 2 Corinthians in chapter 12. That's where Paul talks about having the thorn in the flesh. Um, Three times, he says, I pleaded with the Lord that it should leave me. Now, when he says that, he does not mean that there were three times that he sort of mentioned the really the most painful thing in his life in his prayers. That's not what he means. The thorn in the flesh, the most painful thing in his life. He says there were three times, three seasons, if you like, that he could recall over the many years of his life where he had given everything to seek the face of God to get relief from this most painful thing in his life. I'm sure he gave weeks to prayer and to fasting. I'm sure he asked everyone else that he uh, knew to pray with him. And I, I, you know, I could be so much more useful to God if I didn't have this. So please take it away. And notice the strength of the word pleaded. I pleaded with the Lord. So this is him throwing everything, as it were, at the gates of heaven and saying, oh God, he did everything in his power to see that most painful thing in his life change. Now, that alone teaches us something that's very important to remember when we think about contentment, and it's this, that contentment does not mean that you are indifferent to your circumstances. Contentment does not mean that you give up on your life being better. It's not throwing up your hands and being passive about life and saying, well, whatever will be, will be. Karl Marx, who of course was no friend of Christianity, critiqued Christianity um, in this way. He, He said religion, and he meant Christianity by that, he said, it is the opium of the people. And the dope of the people. And what he meant by that was this, that you see, if you tell people, as the Christian gospel does, to grow in contentment and in peace in your inner life, what that does, Karl Marx says, is to take away any motive, any incentive for people to rise up and to make their lives better. And there are a great many people today who think and are quite convinced that Christianity is actually a drag on social progress, that far from being a force to make the world better, Christianity actually slows the pace at which the world gets better. That is an argument that is made, and it is often made on this basis, that if you teach people to be contented as the Christian gospel does, then you take away all incentive for them actually to rise up and and, and make their lives better. Now, how are you going to answer that in the workplace if someone is convinced that your faith is actually a drag on social progress? Because that's out there big time. Well, this is what you need to have clear, that Christian contentment does not mean that you are indifferent to your circumstances. And Paul's pleading over the thorn in the flesh is just one example of that. 
But Jerry Bridges points here to um, 1 Corinthians in chapter 7 and verse 21 that is a very important scripture in this regard, and it's worth remembering and knowing. Here Paul says, were you a bondservant when called, do not be concerned about it, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. That's hugely important. You see what the apostle is saying? He's not saying, if you're a slave, just put up with it. He actually says, if, if you're a slave and you have an opportunity to get free, go for it. You do anything that you can and seize any opportunity that you have to make your life better. Do all that you can to make your life better. So, please understand this so that we properly grasp what Christian contentment is. Contentment does not mean that you are indifferent to your circumstances. What it does mean is that you are not controlled by your circumstances. Paul is not saying, I don't care whether I'm at the top or whether I'm at the bottom. What he's saying is this, my joy does not depend on whether I'm in need or on whether I am abounding. So, Paul did everything he could to be released from, to have taken from him this most painful thing in his life, whatever that was. But I wonder if you remember what happened in that particular circumstance. Having done everything that he could, God gave him this answer. My grace is sufficient for you, and my strength is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. That's what he learned after on three different occasions in his life, throwing everything at the gates of heaven, uh, here's what he learned, that God's grace was sufficient for the most painful thing in his life. Now, when we come back to where we are today in Philippians and chapter 4, do you see that in verse 13 he says exactly the same thing? It's what he's learned. And I think it's what he learned through the thorn in the flesh. Through the thorn in the flesh, God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. And here he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. This is how I learned to live with the most difficult thing in my life. This is what has kept me from becoming an angry, frustrated, and anxious person. His grace is sufficient for me, and therefore I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And notice, I love this, he gives me strength. So what we're talking about, think about this, is an infusion of divine power that actually comes into your life to match the particular need that you have, and it comes at precisely the time that you need it. Christ gives me strength. In other words, Christ gives strength to match the load being carried by a Christian believer at any given point in time. It's marvelous. Jeremiah Burroughs says it this way, God can double your load and triple your strength. 
That's not a bad deal, by the way, right? Is there someone here who feels, boy, God has doubled my load? Well, you remember this. When He doubles your load, He's well able to triple your strength. He gives strength to match the needs of the hour and indeed the needs of the moment. Now, we said that anxiety, uh, that, that, that uh, contentment is a journey from anger to peace and from frustration to satisfaction and from anxiety to trust. Let me just say this about anxiety, about worry, the people here who worry. What is anxiety? Let me tell you, anxiety is anticipating a problem without the strength that Jesus Christ would give you if and when you were to face it. That's what anxiety is. You, you put yourself in an imaginary situation that is not yet, and you say, well, if that were to happen, how would I cope, and all of this kind of thing. So, you're projecting yourself into a situation that you're not actually in, and, but you're doing it without counting on the strength that Jesus Christ would give you if you were actually in that situation right now. And it happens all the time. You know, you come to church and uh, there's someone within the congregation who's suffering a terrible affliction and you end up saying, oh, I don't know what I'd do if that happened to me. Well, you know what? If that happened to you, Jesus Christ would give you the strength to face it when it happened. That's the promise here. And that's what Paul is telling us. He's saying, this is why I'm not racked with anxiety about what's going to happen tomorrow. Because I've proved this in my life, that whatever comes, Jesus Christ gives me the strength to bear it, and He gives it to me at precisely the right time. There's a lovely story um, that I came across years ago, uh, Corrie Ten Boom who wrote a marvelous book called The Hiding Place. She tells in that book this story of uh, how when she was a child, she went with her family to another family who had experienced loss, death, and it was the very first time she'd been confronted with the reality of death. And it terrified her. And when she came back, little girl, she's being tucked up in bed. Her father comes into her room, and she just sobs because in her mind she's thinking, what would I do if I lost my father? And she's anxious. And this is what she says. Let me read from the, her account uh, to you. She says, that night my father stepped through the door, and I burst into tears. I need you. I sobbed. You can't die. You can't. My father sat down on the edge of the narrow bed. Corrie, he said, when you and I go to Amsterdam, when do I give you your ticket? I sniffed a few times considering this and then said, you give me the ticket just before we get on the train. Exactly, my father said. And our wise Father in heaven knows when we're going to need things too. So don't run ahead of him, Corrie. When the time comes that some of us have to die, you will look into your heart and you will find the strength that you need just in time. So here's the Christian answer to anxiety and worry and fear. Jesus Christ will give you the strength to face 
whatever he calls you to face, and he will give it to you at precisely the right time. Now, one more thing, and then we're through here, and just very briefly. Um, how are you going to grow in contentment? Well, you're going to need to gratefully savor the blessings of Christ and confidently affirm the sufficiency of Christ. And here's the last thing, to gladly embrace the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Here's the deal. If we're going to feel what God, if we're going to feel what Paul felt, the contentment he experienced, we are going to have to live as Paul lived. And how did Paul live? For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I found it really helpful to have that sentence before me with two blanks. For me to live is blank and to die is blank. And then for me to be very intentional about how I fill in the first blank, because however you fill in the first blank will determine how the second blank will be filled for you. So if, for example, that sentence were to be, for me to live is family, for me to live is business, for me to live is ministry, for me to live is sport, for me to live is music, or whatever. Whatever of these things you might put in the first blank, the only thing that could be put in the second blank for you would be, and to die is loss, because you would lose the thing you lived for. But if in the first blank you put the name of Jesus Christ, for me to live is Christ, the second blank can only ever be filled in in this way. To die is gain. Why? Because when you die, you get more of the person that you've lived for. And you see, this is part of how you move from uh, anger to peace and from frustration to satisfaction and from anxiety to trust. How sad you would be this week if your joy and your peace depended on holding on to something that you have or getting something that you do not have. And how blessed you will be this week, how free and for how happy you will be if you are able to say with Paul, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And here's the deal. The degree to which you experience this contentment will be the degree to which your life is handed over to Jesus Christ without reservation and without condition. And when you gratefully savor the blessings of Christ and you confidently affirm the sufficiency of Christ and you gladly embrace the supremacy of Christ, you really are going to be able to say truly, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content because I know this, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Father, we feel right now that that is what you are calling us to and that this is the desire of our hearts. So please, in your great mercy, make it so that every one of us in this congregation may learn in this week more and more to savor your blessings, to count on your strength, and even now to gladly and more fully than ever before 
embrace and crown Jesus Christ as the sovereign Lord of our lives. For these things we pray in Jesus' name and everyone who agreed together said, Amen. 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 God bless you. Thank you.